Shut your mouth, you thong-wearing fatty. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to another episode of the Generation of Wrestling Podcast. As always, is yours truly, the 27-year-old piece of gold, the franchise, a.k.a. the showstopper, better known as the G.O.W.'s resident tribal chief. And with me, as always, I got my tag team partner, my brother, my family. He is the flyest in the room, Mr. One, Two, Three. Pin that ass down, K-Breezy, a.k.a. Tuco, Kimbro in the building. Brother, how you doing? Man, I'm, I'm excited about today, man. We got a big guest, big, big guest today, man. Well, with that being said, let's not keep the people waiting. Big guest deserves big introduction. And with that being said, introducing our guest from Point Pleasant, New Jersey, by way of Atlanta, Georgia. He has worked for companies such as AWA, WCW, WWE, Impact, and most recently AEW. He is a former WCW Triple Crown winner and heavyweight champion, current WWE legend and Hall of Famer, owner, creator, and founder of DDPY. That's right. Don't call it yoga because he hit you with that bang and make your ass famous. Diamond Dallas Page, (laughs) a.k.a. DDP. Brother, how you doing? Now, that's a sweet-ass introduction there, bro. (laughs) (laughs) I tried, brother. Absolutely. I love that. No, you do. You got a good rap, bro. You got a good rap. (laughs) (laughs) Man, look, my partner, he'll tell you, man, I've been working on this for about two weeks, so, you know, I'm glad you like it. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it's perfect. Well, with that being said, so I want to talk about a couple of things, you know, early life, childhood, of course, you know, eventually we get into your career and then DDPY, Relentless and stuff like that. There are no rules on the show, man. The only rule is have fun. Feel free to be yourself. The slogan is real talk for real fans. So whatever you say is between us three and the Internet. So with that being said, are you ready to go? Hit it, baby. Hit it. Where do you want to start? Well, the first thing I want to, you know, I want to address the obvious, uh, the current situation with the pandemic. What have you and the family been doing to kind of keep each other, you know, grounded and sane in this new normal? Uh, you know, Atlanta, actually, Georgia as a whole is 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 a really good. It's been good because, you know, people have been cautious, but it's not like everything shut down and people right. are losing their businesses left and right because, you know, they actually let, you know, people sort of like, you know, uh, patrol themselves. And uh, in the beginning, man, I shut the house down like big time. And I had right. my daughter, Brittany, because she, she's like, I, I always called her a unicorn her whole life as, as, a, as a child. And now that I'm living with her again with my baby granddaughter, um, it's me, her, and my girlfriend. My girlfriend's name is Paige. Her last name is McMahon. So she has two <laughs> iconic names for professional wrestling. But uh, she, um, Brittany, like, man, we got to a point where you drop something off, it sat in the garage unless it had to go in the refrigerator and we wiped shit, you know, wiped shit down and we're just super self-conscious. And then, you know, things lightened up about after about three months and my girl, one of my, one of my daughters, Kimmy, is getting married. So they're doing a uh, bridal shower. So uh, Brittany and Kimmy and Paige were all there. And all these 16 women, one person had COVID and gave it to nine people. I was I was one of the people off of. Paige got it and I got it. And it kicked my ass, but nowhere near as bad as it did her. Like for uh-huh. her... She was freezing, like literally freezing 
to a point where I'd go covers and get on top of her and she's still breathing. So I got, I ordered from, um, Brittany ordered um, heating pads. So we put heating pads under her sheets. So when she started to get cold, she turned that up, but then the fever came every night. It went as high as 102.7. And, oh, wow. you know, it, it, we finally, after three, I, I kicked out in about two weeks and I really felt like I was getting better like five different times. And then right. bam, it yeah, beat me down again. And it, it literally took me a month to get my strength back. And it took Paige about six weeks. And she is a fucking warrior. And I mean, she's one of those women or athletes. She's a professional adventure athlete where she run a 100-mile race. She would put a backpack on her back, run through the canyon, and do 170 miles in six and a half days. Like that kind of warrior. You know, climb Mount Kilimanjaro and, you know, Mount Fuji. And and uh, it kicked her ass. And so uh, we're back now and we're good. She's, she's still got the antibodies. I don't, uh, but uh, I'm good. And I'm, I'm careful and that's all you can be, you know. I'm not going to run and hide from it. Oh, no, not at all. Sorry, not at all. Uh, you know, uh, it, go ahead, Franchise. I'm sorry, go ahead. No, no, go ahead, go ahead. No, no, uh, well, you know, uh, talking, you know, about, you know, the COVID and everything just going on, uh, what has it, um, what has it been for your your business of now, you know, the DDPY? What has it, you know, that transition, has it been easier doing things virtual now, seeing as that's the new normal of how we do things? Has that been better for you or has it kind of been a slow build? Well, I, I was preparing for virtual for the last six years. And that we works. created an app that that no, there's no fitness, wellness. There's no app out there like it because it's not a workout app. You know, it's not just my program. Every Monday on the app, Motivational Monday, you know, mm -hmm. something that I saw, something I went through, something I, I read that someone said, you know, and I'm going to put that up there every Monday. Every Tuesday, we got a new workout. And people go, oh, man, I can't do your workouts, so you'll kill me. Like, my workouts, my DDPY rebuild program starts in bed. Like, you can't get out of bed? I got three workouts for you that help you get out of bed, sit in a chair, or the next level, the chair force, then stand strong using a chair. Now, I work my way to psycho extreme shit, but right. it's from one end to another, in my program, I don't care who you are, it meets you where you are. So that's every Tuesday. Um, and there's over 300 workouts on the app. There's over, there's over 300 of everything because of time. Uh, every Wednesday, I've got a new cooking show. And uh, we did it. We have a kitchen and everything. Really kick-ass, you know, studio kitchen. But... When COVID hit, I was one of the first people to shut down because I got people in my gym working out and they're all different ages. And I don't want to take a chance of anybody getting sick off my watch. So I shut it down. Plus, we're a full-blown production company. And like anything you saw on AEW that wasn't in the ring, 
My guys filmed it. My guys oh. produced it. If if it's not live ring stuff, we produced it. And that, that part of my company is called Comeback Studios. We did The Resurrection of Jake the Snake. We did Relentless. Both of those documentaries are up on Amazon Prime right now. So we, we're a film production company. That's why we can film the workouts and film the cooking shows. Every Thursday is uh, tip of the week. And I'll take some move that you might be having some problems with. And I've gotten some emails about it. And I'll show you how to make it easier so that you can get there and be able to do it. Or it might be something that I've read or something to do with food. And I'll just throw it up there, tip of the week. And then Friday, every Friday, I tell people, don't listen to a word I say about DDP yoga. You know, I will call it DDP yoga because the company will always be that. But I brand it DDPY now. Why? Because I want people to stop calling it just yoga. yoga. I didn't develop it for one. I didn't develop it for one single yogi. I developed it for people who wouldn't be caught dead doing yoga and need some kind of yoga in their life. And so on Fridays, there's a site and it's DDP yoga, one word. I didn't start it. Uh, a guy who's an instructor named Chris Gabriano, he started it and he had like 10 guys on there. And then kind of 20, 30, now there's over 57,000 people that are incredibly active. And it's a safe zone. People of all shapes, colors, sizes, you name it, are on there. And they're supporting each other. And when so they have a bad day or a bad week, they talk. And you wouldn't believe the positive comments that people give back. And it's the thing. One of the things I'm the most proud of because I don't have to say anything. Like, just go there and listen to how people help each other. So I'll just read pieces that people write or a video that they did. And, and sometimes it's funny. Sometimes it'll make you cry. Like, like, wow, that's powerful. So, you know, and in there, we show you how to track everything from your weight, your, your inches, your size, your mobility, your, your pain, and it's just super interactive. So when I first shut down, TMZ called me and they were like, we heard Georgia, the governor was like opening up everything. Right. And what do you think about that? I said, you know, I met him. You know, he, he's a nice guy, but, you know, he's just trying to get people back to work because Atlanta should not be fucking open at all because it's too right. close. And there's right. so many people. But in rural Georgia, where they might have had one COVID case, like, why right. should those people be completely shut down? So I, I said, I don't agree or disagree with it. But I'll tell you what, I'm going to err on the side of caution. That's what I'm going to do. And I'm not going to open up my place. And then Anderson Cooper's people heard that. And he called me. And I got on with Anderson Cooper. And I made him laugh twice. And you know, Anderson Cooper, he ain't ever cracked no smile. And right. he, I, he had a good time with me on the thing. It was fun. And it's told them the same thing. 
you know, and it was like, man, this is crazy times. You know, this happened, that happened, and DDP is erring on the side of caution. You know, that was like, that was one of the things people put as like, these are crazy times. <laughs> right, right. No one really knew, no one really knew, or, you know, what was going on or how things, you know, were going to be structured, but very understandable, you know, what was going on. Uh, franchise, man, you want to kick things off, man, get, get the ball rolling? Well, absolutely, absolutely, because I definitely, definitely want to talk a lot more about DDPY. I definitely want to talk about Relentless as well. Uh, but before we get into that, I want to kind of dub back a little bit and kind of start from the beginning. So with that being said, so Point Pleasant, New Jersey. Explain to us, man, for the people who don't know, who is the man behind the character Diamond Dallas Page? And what was life like growing up for you in Jersey? You know, um, I, I always, I actually have... Angelo Pizzo here at my house. Angelo Pizzo is the guy who wrote and co-directed Hoosiers, Rudy, and My All-American. And right now he's here and he's talking to me all about write my story because Rudy put us together. And so I, I, it's like total top of consciousness right now. Um, growing up as a kid, um, I was a football and hockey fanatic, really loved football though. And looking back at what I've achieved in my life, if I said I was going to do something, I did it. And, and you know, at, at 11, 12 years old, I knew I was going to play defensive end for the Cowboys or the Giants or the Jets. And I was a Cowboy fan as a little kid. Uh, and that's where the name, the name Dallas came from because I was born Paige Joseph Falkenberg and I knew that name was never going to draw any money in the world of professional wrestling um, so very early on my dad is a nickname uh, when he was around he would call me that come on he, he hated the Dallas Cowboys and he knew I loved them and he also knew that uh, I hated the name he was page one and I hated the name page two like, I didn't want to be second to anybody. And right. I was so fixated on that. And then one day I was going to, to uh, we we got on the bus, me and my buddy Stan Yosis. We wanted to be there first. So we would go out the highway and flag the bus down. So we had our spot down and the bus driver would pick us up. Well, one day it was snowing and I walked across the street going, I saw the bus in the distance. I said, Stan, hold the bus. We're gonna get some candy. And I walked right out in front of the car. It hit my right knee. My bag bounced off the hood. And I flew 42 feet from the point of impact. My football career, you know, at 12 years old was over. And back then there was no such thing. 1968, there was no such thing as rehabilitation. Unless you were Joe Namath or Bullets Reed, you know. <laughs> and both of those guys, I found. Well, when my doctor told me that he would not clear me to play football, I had heard about, you know, I was a you know, New York Knicks fan and Jets as well. And I heard that this guy, Dr. Nicholas, he worked on Joe Namath's knee and, and uh, Willis Reed's knee. And I was like, Mom, please take me. I only got to see her like once a month. It's like, hey, please take me to this guy. That's making my birthday present. Well, that guy basically told me, you're never going to be Willis Reed. You're never going to be Joe Namath. You should start hitting the books. 
And at 30 years old, I was reading at about a third grade level. I mean, I grew up with ADD and dyslexia when no one knew what the hell that shit was. And <laughs> right, I right. sort of, you know, finagled and cheated my way through school and got people to write papers for me. And that's where I learned about quid pro quo. Like, I'll help you with this. You help me with that, you know. Um, But that's what I learned about the the best lesson that came out of this. And I literally was just talking to Angelo about this. Um, The only two sports that let me play, baseball and basketball. I sucked at both. And I didn't care because I played football and hockey. I didn't care. And all of a sudden, you can't play football or hockey. And baseball, you got to have at least one other guy to throw the ball back and forth, you know. And then, you know, I figured, yeah, you need a dad to help you. I didn't have my dad around or any of that. I was, you know, pretty much raising myself. My grandmother was trying her best, but, you know, she was, (laughs) she was a grandmother. And, you know, grandmas are great for being at home, but they ain't gonna help you on the other stuff. They, they don't know what to do. And with basketball, I didn't make the team in seventh grade. I didn't care. But in eighth grade, I made the team because I was six one, And I realized like, they're, they're, I'm sitting on the bench. Like that ain't never gonna happen again. Like this is gonna be what I'm gonna do. And that right. summer I played five, six, seven, eight, ten hours a day, all day long. Because as you guys know, the best the best thing about basketball is you can play all by yourself. Yeah. You, know, yeah. you can do dribble, you can learn how to dribble better. Layups, hooks, turnaround jumpers, foul shots. You can have a game with a whole team and nobody's out there. You know? Yeah. So in the in the beginning, nobody picked me. Eventually I got picked, and eventually I was picking the teams, and eventually I was one of the best kids in the county, you know, and what I learned from that was work ethic equals results. Inside my Hall of Fame ring, it says work ethic equals dreams, explanation point, deep. With that being said, before I pass it over to my partner, so you said, I see that you played JV basketball your freshman year, uh, varsity your sophomore year. Was there ever any thought of you possibly going pro, whether it be NBA or overseas, or was that just something you did strictly in high school? I know um, I I knew I didn't have the ability because I played with the best players. I mean, I would hitchhike into the hood, baby, and fuck him, <laughs> and I'd be the only white boy there, you know. <laughs> and I knew I didn't have the skills for that, but. In my teens, I made a decision. I wanted to be a wrestler, you know, uh-huh. and that I knew I could do. And I tried it when I was 23, but it didn't work out for me. I, I, I the same knee. I had three matches. I mean, I, I was so green, you know, and I did something where I went over the top rope, came down and jammed. I didn't care anything. But I, but I, I like a bone bruise. So it took me out of the game and I'd only been working a couple of months on it anyway. And then I got an opportunity to run my first bar and it was, was like a little rock and roll bar. And then the booze, the broads in the party, baby, 23 years old that you know, I've been in the business. Since I was 18, but to actually be running a place and have bars on each side of you, 
I mean, it was a hot spot, and I enjoyed that spot. <laughs> it, 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 it sounds like it. And speaking of that nightclub, uh, the people that were coming in, like you said, you were a fan of wrestling. You wanted, you, you tried it out. Of course, you know, you said your knee went out on you. Who were the people that were coming by that were inspiring you to want to continue to uh, pursue it later on in your career? Uh, like, well, later on before you got into uh, WCW. Yeah, like what what had happened is it's just seventy nine when I wrestled, right? So okay, right. I, I I lose I lose track of the dream, and then eighties eighty one eighty two here comes WrestleMania, and I am so pissed at myself for not putting the work in and following the dream that I stopped watching wrestling. And then one day I was flicking the channels and I see Gorilla Monsoon, who I've known since I was a little kid as far as watching him on TV. But there's also this cat with a leather coat and a do-rag and these crazy glasses and a boa and it's Jesse the Body Ventura. I'm like, this guy's amazing. And the first guy to come through the freaking curtain had a bag over his shoulder, Fu Manchu, the long hair, you know, the one and only Jake the Snake Roberts, and he mesmerized me. Like, like I'd done it, you know, because every kid growing up, now, is this shit real? Like, what's, right. like, I don't get it. Like, especially <laughs> when you're younger, you don't know. And as you got older, because you don't know what's real and what's not in professional wrestling. And I started thinking, like, Man, well, maybe this guy, Jake Roberts, like his shit looks real. Right. Like you couldn't see through his shit. And no. I just became a big fan again. And then I'm running some huge club in Fort Myers, Florida. This is I, the first club I ran was in uh, 79. In 85, 6, 7, you know, up right up to 80, up till 90, I ran a big ass club in Fort Myers. And one night, I want to say it was like 1987, I'm in the back office and I had a camera on the front door. See who's walking in and a guy walks in and looks just like Jake. And I'm, it, I, instead of going through a thousand people, I'm going to walk around the outside of the club, come walking in. I go to the front girl, the front desk girl who's collecting the money. I'm like, Judy, did some guy walk in here and look like Jake the Snake Roberts? She's like, yes. Everybody thinks it's him. <laughs> so, like the mark that I was at the moment, I ran in there, you know. Like, and then I see him, and I slow down and slowly make my way near him. And I go, hey, man, I go, you Jake the Snake Roberts? And he says, who wants to know? I, I said, the guy who runs this place. He's like, yes, what can I do for you? I said, what are we drinking? And that night, we drank. You know, he told me stories and he was, you know, he was, he was Jake. He was exactly who that guy is you think he is. And he, if you wrestled in Tampa, mm -hmm. in the WWE at the time, F, now WWE, the next show was in Miami. That's 300 miles you got to drive. Right. Right in the middle, almost right in the middle of Fort Myers. So... Uh -huh. What would happen is Jake told the boys 
you got some guy there's a big mark and he takes care of the guys this is a picture of the million dollar man and me pouring tequila into <laughs> his mouth wow that is awesome the that funny awesome. part about that is i've been trying to get ted to do ddpy uh, for 17 years since i started doing it as a business 17 right. years ago you know ddpy is an eight year overnight success like the first eight years you know that's what relentless is you know you know a lot of that is in relentless thank you baby i'll come over Kurt. say hello to fellas this is my girl Paige mcmahon hey guys um but uh um jake uh you know he told all the guys oh ted dibiase ted, i've been trying to get ted to do it for 17 years and about three months ago he called me up and he's like Didi, i'm ready i go you're ready to start the program he goes yes he's like can me and my wife mel both come i said yes so they came in here for a week and the first night we were up on my porch having dinner, and Ted tells that story about the tequila shot. <laughs> and I walked, and they hadn't come downstairs to the war room down here. And uh, I came downstairs, I grabbed the picture, I walk up, I go, you mean shots like this? And oh my God, his wife thought it was the funniest thing. She'd been with him the whole time. I, that's 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 awesome, to, and especially like say for those guys to be right there in between, uh, you know, uh, uh, two places like that where you know that's a big, huge wrestling uh, places where people go, and for them to come in and interact with you, and you being that cool guy that allows them to come in, that that's pretty awesome. But while also doing that, you also started being a manager for AWA. How did that all become about? Uh, Clearly, because you you really weren't back into the wrestling just yet. But how did that come about for you? No, right, right. I, I was, it, it's you know, I tell people all the time, you know, um, if I would have known how impossible it is for an outsider to get in there at that right. level on TV, if I knew what I know today, I would never even have tried it. Because sometimes ignorance is bliss, right? Because uh, yeah. the only guys that didn't have some kind of lineage or start as wrestlers and pay their dues, the only guys, and they're two of the smartest guys in the business, one's Paul Heyman and the other is Jim Cornette. But both of those guys started as photographers when they were like, 13 14 years old they yeah. get the guys jackets and take it back like they just found their way and they put the work in just like the other wrestlers for me to roll in at 31 unheard of so this is how the story went i'm in my club that big club that jake and you know ted and Bushwhackers and Michaels and Janetti came. So many of the guys came. And now this is Norma Jeans, right? Yeah, Norma Jeans Dance Club. And uh, 
the um the the dj was playing girls just want to have fun by cindy lopper this is after work like i'm collecting the drawers with you know a couple of the bartenders so we get all the money back there and everybody gets their drawer everybody counts it in front of everybody but we're drinking you know and right. <clears throat> when i was collecting the drawer I looked up and I saw Captain Lou Albano. I think at the end, dancing around is him, Nikolai, Volkov. I can't remember who else. And I'm just looking at that TV. And I'm like, man, rock and wrestling. I should have been a part of that. And I grabbed the drawers and I walk in my office. And about 10 minutes later, my head bartender, Smokey. And back then, I went by Paige J. Because my dad was page one, and he was out working the parking lot. So he's out there with cocktails and directing people, you know. And he was a piece of work, or is a piece of work. But uh, <laughs> I'll tell you a story. Let me tell you this story. Hold on a second. That no, thing, go ahead. One of the delivery guys comes in my club. One of, one of my delivery guys comes in my club one night. And you see how I got all these pictures up here behind me? Well, mm -hmm. I've always done shit like that in my offices. But, you know, it could have been <clears throat> maybe trip, uh, um, chick, uh, treat, that was name, cheap trick. You know, they might have come in because we had the hottest spot from Sarah, uh, to Cuba. Um, God, who else? I mean, it was so many big stars came in there. Um, uh, I'm trying to, I can't remember his name, but, um, I had all these pictures behind me. And then, and this, this delivery guy knows my old man. He's drank with my old man. He knows he's a character, right? And he's looking at this picture right here. And he's like, Diamond, who is that? And I looked up, I said, that's my mom. Oh, man. Oh, man. <laughs> and... and, and and he and he looks at me. He looks at me. He doesn't miss a beat. Like I said, he knows my old man. He just seen my mom. He goes, "You never had a chance, did you?" <laughs> and I just burst out laughing. Um, but um, so I, I I'm I'm sitting in the back. You know, I'm I'm starting to count money. Smokey comes in. And he's like, "Hey, Page J." He goes, what do you mean rock and wrestling? You should have been a part of that. I said, oh, God, did you, really, you heard that. He said, yeah. I said, well, I tried it when I was a kid. I was like 23. He goes, really? He's like, what, what was your name? I said, Handsome Dallas Page. And he went, oh, you can forget about using that gimmick anymore. And everybody <laughs> burst out laughing. And now the drinks the shots are happening you know we're drinking after hours we're bar people so right. we ain't gonna leave here till around it's probably about two o'clock we ain't leaving before four you know and uh oh, having a good time and everybody's talking shit and telling stories yeah and i just couldn't get it out of my head and i start doodling on a fucking like a it would be like a calendar board and i write diamond Dallas Page. And then I say, you know, I'm too old to be a wrestler. I was 31 at the time. I said, but I could be a manager. And I'm just talking shit. I'm not planning to do this. It's not a vision yet. Uh, I said, um, Jimmy Hart's got the Hart Foundation. 
I could have the diamond exchange. Woo, shot, shot, drink, drink. But I write it down because I'm doodling it, right? And I always tell people, just don't think it. Ink it. Like, write it down. Make yourself accountable. You know, right. tell people you're going to do something because then they're going to call you on that later if you don't. Yeah. And so at some point, you know, the shots, we're, we're in about an hour or so talking shit. At some point, I go, you know, there's no really good-looking women in professional wrestling. And we're talking about, like, 1987. I said, except for Miss Elizabeth, but she's, like, girl next door beautiful. Right. I said, man, what if I had a whole stable of the ladies and I called them diamond dolls and they were stripper hot and smoking goes, oh, that'll be a stretch. Because back then, brother, I was Diamond Dolls Page. <laughs> I was living that life. Uh, and, um, and I just wrote it down. And then right before we left, I said, you know, this ever was come to fruition. I said, I would be Diamond Dallas Page. My wrestling wrestlers would be a part of the Diamond Exchange. I would have the Diamond Dolls. And just off the a riff, I said, that is be a double D bad. <laughs> and, I looked around, and I looked around at my buddies, and I go, did I just make that up? You know, it's 1987. I go, I think I did. And I wrote it down. <laughs> so... As 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 the sometimes planets have lined up for me, and then right. you know they don't get me all the way, but they get me part of the way. And around that time, there was a little um, show that was on Southwest Florida cable, and it was called the Party News Network. And the Party News Network would. You know, a new place opens up, or they're going to be there if, um, you, know, um, you know, one of the hot bands are in town at the Lean Civic Center. They're going to be where the party's at. And right. they wanted to interview me because of the way I did my commercials. Like, I might have had like Thursday, Thursday, like a synthesizer voice, but I might, you know, you might have heard. You, yeah, this Wednesday, ooh, yeah, hot legs, $1,000 in cash and prizes, ooh, yeah, <laughs> and then I go off and do something else, and, and people had seen Jake and Ted and Bushwhack, they'd seen a bunch of these guys in my club, so I could do Jesse Ventura back then, I can't do it today, but back then... I could just sound exactly like him or Hulk or Dusty in public, if you will. You know, I, I they didn't know. And I would put these guys in the spot. So they they want to do this story about the voice. Right. And they show me in my 62 pink Cadillac convertible and me looking over the big fins they they dubbed in um, uh, David Lee Roth going hello baby and that's how it starts me driving down the road in my '62 pink Cadillac convertible and then they show me <clears throat> in the studio and I've got a WrestleMania shirt on 
not in the uh, business. I'm just a fan, right? Right. And um, and uh, then they show me in my office. And while I'm sitting in that same chair we were partying in, the guy says to me, so where does the voice come from? And I look down. My answer is written right in front of me. Now, if there's not a pair of white sunglasses there at the time, be honest to God, truthful, I don't know if I do it or not. But they were there. And I took those glasses and I put them on. It was like having a mask on. I was like, right. the voice comes from Diamond Dallas Page, Daddy. I was born to be a professional wrestling manager. It's big. It's bad. It's Norma Jean's voice. And then I took them off and I kept talking. And, and about a week later, I'm in my office. And I'm never there during the day. But I was there during the day. And. Judy calls back, Paige, uh, got um, someone for a Diamond Dallas page. I pick up the phone. I go, fuck you, Smokey. And I hang up the phone, right? And she calls back. She goes, that's not Smokey. His name is Smitty. He's calling back. He has a radio show. He wants to talk to you. I pick up the phone. I go, like, who is this? And we end up talking, and he tells me that he's a boxing, uh, is a boxing show, and that's what his main sport that he really candles. But wrestling is so big. He said, "I want to do wrestling once a month, and I want you to come on and do it with me." I'm like Smitty. I don't really do this shit. I was just making it up. Just and having some fun. He's like the. Right. He's like, that's okay. It's radio. I'd love to have you on. I go, dude, I don't know enough, you know, to really come in there and like just talk smack about wrestling. I watch it, but I don't know. He goes, man, I'm going to have Captain Lou Albano on my show. Now, what are the odds of that? You know, yeah. me saying rock and wrestling, looking at Captain, you know, and now I'm going to get to talk to Lou. I go, do I get to talk to him? He's like, right. absolutely. I go, I'm in. And I went and done the show. And, you know, I, now I'm writing backstory. You know, Diamond House Page from Johannesburg, South Africa, because of my diamond mines. Don't you know? You know, like, I'm making up all this shit. So I have things that, if they said something, I got answers, you know? And right. uh, the show was a lot of fun. It was a childhood dream, you know? And, and then the next one was with Sergeant Slaughter. And then Smitty and I go out for have a beer after that. And he's like, man, you really got to do something with this Diamond Dallas Page thing. And I'm like, Smitty, do what? It's not real. He goes, yeah, I know, I know. But I'm just telling you, man, I, I, I got a friend of mine who was a promoter. And he used to promote boxing. Now they've got him in the AWA in the middle of the country up in Minneapolis. And I think I've got his address. I think you should make up a tape and send him a tape. I go, a tape of what? And he's like, you'll think of something. I know you wanted to do this as a kid. You'll think. What ended up happening is uh, 
I created, and here's one of them right here. I had a friend of mine who was a radio jock. And like you can tell, like this the wall behind me, every picture has a story, right? right? Well, this guy right here with the microphone, I fly him in. He's a radio jock named Jack Bernstein. And the guy in the middle, I called him Rock Hard Rick. And he would just chisel down, right? I made up another guy called Big Bad John. And I had a guy named Ted E. Bear, and he was a midget. <laughs> and he walks out with the diamond. The funny part, he used to be a... All three of these guys were bouncers for me, right? right? And Teddy, Teddy would stand like on a bar stool and take people's IDs so I was taller than them. Teddy, back when you could still do midget tossing in your club, we did midget tossing with Teddy. <laughs> and, where, and where I got the name for Teddy Bear, when they outlawed midget tossing, I called it, put the bear in the air. Put Teddy Bear. How far can you throw Teddy? And he would go flying through the club onto the big rafts that we'd set up. But uh, I put this tape together. I sent it to the AWA. Like, I, I don't think I don't think anything's gonna happen, but I gotta at least do what feels like destiny, you know. Two weeks later, they call me up. This is Rob Russin from the AWA. Is Diamond Dallas Page there? Yes, he is. Rob, how are you? And he's like, "Listen, we like your tape. We've showed it around. Everybody likes your stick." We've just got, we want to bring you and your boys in for a tryout. He said, but we've got one question. Where are you guys working? Nobody's ever heard of you guys before. Well, Rob, um, none of those guys could actually wrestle. <laughs> he was like, what? Like, why would you send in the tape? said, Rob, truthfully, it's like a secret fucking society you guys got. Like, you can't find a way in. And these guys want to be wrestlers. I go, they could go to school. I could actually be managing, you know, people that, uh, that you could put me with. Don't call us. We'll call you. You know, one of those deals. And I thought, well, God, I was so close. And then as the planet... And then as the planets continue to align, Paul E. Dangerously, better known as Paul Heyman, yeah. leaves the AWA and goes to the NWA, which left a huge void for a young cat that could talk. And I get a call back 
about two or three weeks later. Now, again, at this point, I'm thinking this shit's over, you know? And I get a call from Greg Gagne, and he says, DDP, we want to bring you in. We want to bring you and some of those. He said, we want to bring you in for a tryout. And we want you to bring all those crazy clothes you wear. Like, where's where's my one picture here? Where the hell? One picture I like to show. Where the hell it is? Oh, it's over here. Hold on. I can't find the damn thing. Oh, here it is. I can't. Oh, here it is in front of me. I dress like this in the nightclub, bro. With the, the freaking sequin jackets <laughs> and the diamond studded shit. Yo, I had five earrings in. I had, I had here, here's, here's a great picture. This is a picture of me putting together the thing for the diamond dolls. Now, that's my 62 pink Cadillac. And if you get a close up on any of those ladies, they are all smoking hot. And that's in Fort Myers right there. So, he says, bring in a couple of those, bring a couple of those hot chicks and all those crazy clothes you wear. You know, I wore zebra skin jackets, leopard skin jackets, zebra skin boots. I had holes in my jeans in 1987, you know, and, <laughs> and did that as a fashion statement. And uh, I got a girl who was, you know, a good friend of mine, and we used to have a lot of fun together. And I, I needed her like now because they wanted me to come in like next week. And so I called her up and said, man, I would love you to come. And where the hell's that picture at? And uh, oh, oh, here it is. I know that this is my very first day in professional wrestling because she only did this once. And next thing you know, I get there and me under my tutelage, <laughs> I help bad company become the tag team champions of the world, the AWA. And you'll notice that I'm not that much taller than them, about the same size as, as Diamond. Uh, that's Paul Diamond, the girl's Leanne. The girl right there, she is now the head um, sales person like he controls all of the sales in north america for visor that's bringing the blue pill you know oh, yeah. bringing yeah. viagra and now they've got the uh they they're one of the companies that got the vaccine so like she's super powerful chick but uh i know that was the first day because she was with me and the reason why those guys are about the same size as me, my feet are this far apart. So I lower my <laughs> six foot four height, but uh, it was a lot of fun. And that, that, that's the long answer, but that's exactly how it happened. No, I, I appreciate that long answer. And because <clears throat> the one thing about you being that manager, being that guy that can talk, being that guy, you know, that was, you had a way with your words and in, in, in the way that you uh, presented yourself. Uh, what was it like when they told you that your manager, you, your your character as a manager, was bigger than the wrestlers themselves? I yeah, I was like, 
I, I just can't. I literally looked at Magnum and I go, what are you telling me I can't manage anymore? I'm like, what did I do wrong? He goes, it's not your fault. You know, the clothes, the bling, the wrap, the hair, the dolls. It's like, no one's paid attention to anything else. And I said, so you're telling me I'm too over it. I'm too over the top for professional wrestling. You know, like that's like an oxymoron. And he said, Hey, it's not your fault. What we should have done was put a pair of tights and boots on you and see if you could do this. And I knew right then, like when I was 23, I wasn't trying to be a manager or a colored commentator. I want to be a wrestler. I had seven months left on my contract. And I will never forget Jimmy Jam Garvin, Pete, Michael P.S. Hayes. Actually, there's a picture of those guys right there. Somebody drew for, for me of us, three of us. Um, they were the biggest ribbers ever. And like one time I put, you know, you got the big Cadillac. You got the arm down rest for your arm. And I stuck my foot through it because that when I hit by that car, it bothered me sometimes. So I stretched it out. And, uh, Jimmy Garvin goes, Dallas, is there your foot in the front seat? I go, yeah, Jimmy, I was trying to stretch my leg out. Next thing you know, he's got a lighter under my foot. It is giving me a legitimate hot foot. You know, shit like that. They would, you motherfucker. But uh, <laughs> when they heard the news, they were so empathetic. They came up like, and I never thought, I never seen those guys ever like that. They're like, hey, man. We feel really bad, you know, you know, but it's part of the business. And, you know, it was great while it lasted. And they were trying to console me. And I said, it don't matter, bro. I'm good. I go, I got seven months left of my contract. I'm going down that power plant. I'm going to learn how to wrestle. And they looked at each other. And they burst out laughing like it was the funniest thing they ever heard. I mean, you know. Hayes went that fell down on the ground laughing. And I gave him both the finger and said, see out in the ring. This was the last time I was going to walk up to the ring. Right. And um, years later, like five years later, Michael P.S. Hayes, I had a match with Sting in January 96. And I was, um, I was running into, it was a Tuesday morning. I flew back home. I was running out to go to the gym, and I heard the message machine go off, and I was just running out the door, and then I hear, page, pay us. I ran to the phone. I picked it up. Hey, Mike, you're God damn it. Motherfucker. I'm like, Mike, Mike, you're right. Son of a bitch. I'm like, Mike, what's the matter? He's like, page. You know, sometimes you don't want someone to pick up the fucking phone. You just want to leave a message. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You want you want, want me to hang up so you can call back? No, <laughs> fuck it. No, you're on here. He said, Paige, everybody, see your match last night. I'll tell you, I got to be honest. That match you had with Stinger, he said, I have never been so happy to eat crow in all my life. Great job. Click. And he hung up with me. <laughs> <laughs>
that was a that, that was a moment. That was a moment, and I knew I was just moments away from really arriving. I just needed something big, right. and if it fucking happened, and it would be the NWO. And when they came in and, you know, took over and Sting went into the rafters, you know, to create the crow and um, the um, uh, Kevin Nash and Scott Hall were like legit brothers of mine. Like I created, I don't know if you remember what Scott Hall looked like pre- Razor Ramon, Razor Ramon was the diamond stud, the character little, I little created yeah, with the black hair. And yeah, so, you know, I got him to shave that big walrus mustache and grow that five o'clock shadow that he had at yeah. about two o'clock. And, uh, you know, stupid, handsome son of a bitch, you know, but I created the toothpick, everything. We were both supposed to do it. And mine fell out of my mouth while I was talking shit for him. So it really was, it should have been his thing anyway, you know? Right. And um, uh, bad guy was born. And so he never forgot that. Plus I got him a job when his mother, his wife was pregnant with their kid, with her first son. And uh, uh, so there was, there was some uh, wanting to pay me back. And I never reached out and asked for it. And Kevin Nash, we were partners as the Vegas Connection right when I tore my rotator cuff and, you know, they let me go. Um, but he wanted to quit a bunch of times. And I'm like, man, do not let these fuckers beat you, bro. Do not let them beat you. You're going to be one of the biggest names ever. You have just got to stick with it. Do not quit. And when when Nash went in the Hall of Fame, that was one of the things he said. He said, I owe my beachfront home to Dallas because he kept me in the game when there were times I want to go fuck you. You know, and uh, so I came up with I came up with the idea to drop the NWO. That was my idea. But I didn't present it. Nash did. Now, speaking of the NWO, you said you, Nash, Hogan, uh, Savage. How does it feel to know you guys were all in the NWO together? The magic you created, you being in the ring with guys like them, along with Ric Flair, the Steiners, Booker T. And then for you and most of them, them guys I just mentioned, everybody actually, to be inducted in the WWE Hall of Fame together. How surreal is that to you, especially knowing that you really started your career as a 35-year-old rookie? Like, How crazy is that to think? These guys have been around wrestling maybe 10 plus years or so more before you, and yet you're still revered as one of the goats of the industry. Yeah, and, and then being on top. Yeah. For, right. you know, right. you know yeah. all that time. Uh, me dropping Kevin Scott, you know, and my feud with the NWO was the best. And it was the best thing that happened because it made, let me just get a battery on this. It made um the uh the people turned me baby face <clears throat> excuse me it the, the the um that that dropping of kevin 
Nash and Scott Hall dropping of the NWO, which again, it was my idea, but Kevin Nash got it pushed through with Eric Bischoff. Like I couldn't. And to have that run and ended up, you know, uh, like we kicked the WWE's ass for 83 straight weeks. And it was for a year. They won, we won. They won, we won. I mean, it was must-see TV. And it has laid such a huge impact on people that grew up with us over that period because we were reality-based. Right. And people didn't know what was real and what wasn't. You know, to right. you know, actually gotten through it and ended up in the Hall of Fame, you know, that was my my favorite night ever. And and not not winning the world title, not you know, you know messing in front of twenty-two thousand people, being able to thank everyone who helped me get there. That and I, you know, my only story in my brain was I'm gonna blow everybody away. I wanna make them laugh. I'm gonna make them cry. I'm gonna inspire them. And what was funny was the night before, two nights before uh, the Hall of Fame, you know, it's happening and I'm there. And up walks this guy, Foz. He's one of the writers. He goes, hey, DDP, I'll be writing your speech with you. I'm like, Foz, do you not think I've been working on this for the last three months? Are you kidding me? <laughs> you, I don't need anybody. I don't need anybody's help. And he goes, well, so what is it? You got, got it down to 15, you know, 10 or 15 minutes? I said, no, 27 minutes. And he said, oh, gee, we can't go that long. I'm like, are you fucking kidding me? You're telling me this now? And so I go up and I, and I spend that whole night rewriting it. And the next day he calls me, he goes, Hey, I said, I've almost got it finished. He goes, I want to hear the original. Can I come up and will you do it for me? I said, absolutely. He came up. I did. I had him laughing. I had him getting choked. I mean, all the shit that I knew was going to happen in front of a crowd. He was doing in my room and he goes, let me go talk to Kevin Dunn. Because Kevin Dunn, he's the guy who runs the show. Vincent Mann is the grand poo bar, but Kevin Dunn runs that TV show. And he makes a lot of the decisions. And so uh, he called me up. He said, Kevin said, do it. And um, you're coming out first. Don't go over 30. <laughs> and that was that that was my finest moment in professional wrestling and it was the best thing i've ever done and it'll be around forever for people to watch and be inspired when i'm long gone you know speaking speaking of big moments uh it was a time where you aaron anderson and savage you guys in the locker room r came in he asked savage what do you want the finish to be? And when he said he wanted to take your diamond cutter, can you just kind of explain what that meant to you personally and what that meant to your career moving forward? You know, I honestly didn't really realize. I knew it was huge, but I never, I, I never really knew how huge it was until I experienced the aftermath. Mm -hmm. I mean, 
first of all, our angle was completely reality-based. You know, we had great promos leading into it. And it lasted for friggin' seven months. Unlike something you hot shot and a month later, two months later, it's over. And Arn, who I love today, you know, you know, and I loved him for a long time in the beginning, but there was a time where we were at odds with each other. And he basically told me I was never going to be a top guy. And mm. he told me because Hogan, Hogan, Sting, Luger, Flair, or Savage are ever going to put you over. Like, guys, when you're at that level, like, no, I'm not doing it. And 90% of the time, they'll get their way. Right. And in this scenario, I never got in this dreaming to that Savage is going to put me over. You know, I just being able to work with him was a huge right. honor. But he was listening to the crowd every night. And every single night, I got I I might have hit a couple of diamond cutters when the NWO was running in, and maybe I escaped, or maybe boom, I got glommed by Norton or whoever the next guy was. And next thing you know, Randy's dropping elbows on me. And I'll tell you something about Randy's elbow. There is nothing. And when I say nothing, I mean fucking nothing about it. When that motherfucker hit you, and I say that with all the love in the world, and I was thankful <laughs> as hell, but I swear to God, the first time he landed on me, I literally thought the opposite side of my rib cage opened up and my gut splattered all over the friggin' mat. Like, I pissed blood for 13 out of 16 weeks. I'm Man. like, Randy, please stop landing. Like, land on my stomach. That next match, he landed on my face, knocked me out. If you watch, if you watch the Great American Bash, you'll the, the, the referee is losing his mind. He's screaming, go home. When you get to a three-hour window, and it's three hours in one second, it goes to the next program. So if we're not out, if you didn't buy the extra time, which right. is a lot of money, so they want you out by two hours and 55, two hours and 56 minutes. All right, you're done. Aftermath, recap. No, we're like fucking 259 and three seconds and... <laughs> Now we're starting the actual finish where I get hit by the with Scott Hall by the belt. If Scott Hall hits you with a belt, he hits you with a belt. And I'm not bullshitting. Then he freaking grabbed me, hit me with his finish. And then Randy comes through and he lands on my face. The next thing I know, I'm walking backstage. I stop. I look at my wife, Kimberly, and I go, did I just wrestle? Damn. And she said, she said, what? I said, is it Nitro? Did I just wrestle? She said, stop the pain. You scared me. I go, what the fuck? And I start flipping. She goes, calm down, calm down. You, this, you just wrestled Randy Savage, the great American bash. 
I said, what happened? And she told me that that happened. Scott Hall raises Randy's hand. If you guys watch the match, you'll see me start to sit up. Thank you, God. I fall back down. It goes to black. She told me after that, I sat up like Undertaker. Came to my feet, staggered, fell through the ropes to the floor, gave them both the finger, and she said, and now we're here. <laughs> you were on autopilot, I see. <laughs> like, that's, that's, that's like fighting shit in the back. That's right. like freaking Clint Eastwood, John Wayne, Sylvester Stallone just filled you through a full of holes and Tony Montana comes out, bah, 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 like you think, your, your bullets are phasing me. You know, that's heat right. in the back. And those guys came back mad as fuck. And I put a table in front of me so they couldn't like bum rush me. I didn't right. know how they were going to handle that, but I knew they'd be mad. And they kicked that door in. They're like, what the? Blah, 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 blah. And I went, blah, 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 blah. I go, you knocked me out. You think I'm full of shit? And I threw the table out of the And they went, blah, 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 blah. and they turned around and walked out. And they thought, oh, maybe we did knock them out. And uh, next morning, my face was like this. And I was waiting because that next night, I had a match in the main event at in um, United Center in Chicago, and I waited right at the bottom where all the people come in. And when he rolled up to me, finally, Randy walked in, and he saw me, and he looked at my face. Mm. Sorry, brother. And he walked away. <laughs> but, he, but he knew I didn't bogart him. But to go back right. to your question about uh, Arn. Like I said, Arn said I would never be a top guy. And then Randy says, I think I want to take the diamond cutter. And Arn just looked at me and he was like, man, wow. Goes, I got diamond. Hope you know what this means for your career. I'm like, yeah. Yeah, I do, Arn. But I really didn't because that wasn't the pay-per-view. That was the night before the pay-per-view. Randy wanted to hear how the people would react. Because everywhere we wrestled, they beat the shit out of me and let me lay shit flying into the ring, like cups and bottles and, you know, all sorts of shit. And that's how it normally happened, or I'd escape. But most times I got my ass beat. And during this match, we went out there and tore it down, man. And he didn't give me a lot. Because he knew he was putting me over. So he pretty much dominated, beat my ass, gave me some hope spots and fucking kicked me down. And finally, I blow a little comeback. He stops me and he goes, diamond cutter. And he went to slam me and I turned into a cutter. And it was like, like almost a moment of silence. And then people just, wow! Because they couldn't <laughs> believe I caught him with it. And then when I laid on him, laid my arm across him, it was... It, it was one of the loudest pop, one of the top five loudest pops I ever had. And uh, I could hear him saying, well, guess we know what we're doing for spring stampede. Yeah. Because <laughs> he speaking really of, talked like that, man. Speaking of uh, spring stampede, uh, you got your, um, 
you got your opportunity, you know, to win the World Heavyweight Championship. You 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 went up against pretty much three of the top Hall of Fame guys that you could ever name, Sting, Hulk Hogan, Ric Flair. What was that like for you to be in that match with those four guys? Just just on their name alone of who they are, what they've done for the business. And even at to that point, what was it like for you and then for you to go over and to be the one to get that victory? You really got to know the backstory. And it's so crazy. I didn't really even realize it until I was writing my whole thing speech. Years later, like 15 years later, 17, yeah, it was 90. Yeah, like it was 18 years later that I realized that when I'm writing this speech, there was a story I tell about Dusty. Because Dusty, you know, without Dusty Rhodes, there is no Diamond Dallas page. He was there for me anytime I needed him. If I needed to call him, he'd dream because he was stuck to call him back. But if I said, I need to talk to you, he'd pick up the phone and he'd call me right back. And he'd let me vent or bitch, you know, about the booking committee, how they weren't doing shit with me. And at one, more, at one point, I was bitching for a while. At one point, I was like, you know, Dream, I know I'm never going to be you or Rick. Or Hulk. I mean, I know I'm never going to be the world champion, but these sons of bitches went, damn it, enough. <laughs> what did you just say? And now I'm feeling kind of stupid. You know, I'm like, well, Dusty, I know I'm never going to be you or Rick or Hulk. He was no D. What did you say after that? So well, I know I'm never going to be the world champion. He said, then what the fuck are you doing it for? He said, Gallup, as hard as you work, as much time as you put into this shit, that if you don't think you could be the world champion, you need to get the fuck out of our business right now. And fellas, he kept talking, and it felt like he reached through and just fucking just bitch slapped me, you know? <laughs> and I, I don't remember a word he said after that, but I know exactly what I did. Right next to my phone was a pad. And it was for, if the you know, answer machine, you picked up the phone, you got to leave. <laughs> All right, what was their name? You, know, you had a pad there for your phone, right? Mm -hmm. I grabbed that pad, and I'm listening to him, but I'm not. I'm just listening to what he just said to me. You know, it's like ringing in my ears. Exactly. And I wrote down on that pad, I will be the world champion in five years or less. It was four years, four months, and 14 days that April 11th, 1999 rolled around. Five days, six days after my 43rd birthday, I get in the ring with Rick and Hulk and Sting. I told Dusty just four years, four months, and 14 days earlier, I'm never going to be Rick or Hulk or you. Well, Sting is as good a substitute for Dusty Rhodes as you can have. Yeah. Uh, it's like... Take a microphone laid it out and all the planets came together 
and Atlanta. And there I am. And Randy Savage, two pay-per-views earlier in 1997, he puts me over in the middle. Now he's the guest referee. Randy Savage hands me this thing right here. He hands me this. And I, I can't even really communicate how surreal that was. You know, um, the next day was my favorite moment. Me and Kim, that happened in Tacoma, Washington. And me and Kim were on our way to Spokane. And the phone rings. And I pick it up. And I hear his voice. He said, so D, how did it feel? <laughs> I said, Dusty, <laughs> it feels fucking real. He said, that's because it is. And uh, that was a moment I will never forget. So, again, work ethic equals dreams. In my documentary, Relentless, at the end, of the mo of documentary, you know, I tell people, never underestimate the power someone gives you by believing in you. And I deal with a lot of people who are lost hope in my, my program. Uh, I deal with a lot of top shelf athletes as well, but I deal with a lot of people who lost hope. And maybe it's their significant other that believes in them or their son or their daughter or something believes that they can do this. And I tell them, don't ever underestimate the power that someone gives you by believing in you. But more importantly, never underestimate the power you give yourself by believing in you. I mean, there is nothing more powerful. You know, we can destroy ourselves or we right. can build ourselves. And when you, when I wrote a book called Positively Unstoppable, The Art of Owning It. And it is that six inch piece of real estate in between your ears. It's right. the story you tell yourself. It's that, it's that constant inner voice. And once you achieve that goal that you even thought was impossible, and now it's possible and it happened. What's your next goal? What are you doing next? Okay, you climbed Mount Everest 20 years ago. What the fuck are you doing right now? Like, right. how are you, like, how are you changing your life for the better? Right. You know, like, the really cool part about what I'm doing with DDPY, and I'm so glad that. You know, God has let me stay on this earth. You know, let me live five different lives in one. But I know that DPY will be here long after I'm gone. Like, long after. I'm constantly introducing new trainers that have real stories. Like my girlfriend, Paige McMahon. Like I told you, she's an adventure athlete. But she's also right. broke her back twice twice once when she was 16 and once when she was had an accident when she fell off a tree 15 feet 
broke her back in three places, broke her arm and her leg. She's the only one around. She's got to crawl into the house. I mean, this girl got crazy heart. And she was a yogi. It was yoga that for her first time that helped her. And it was DDPY that was her second time that healed her back. And she realized, wow, this shit's really different. And we've been here for about a year and a half now. And she's super, super smart lady that really gets what we're doing. And her and I'm grooming like three different people uh, that will take this on and build you know, my program and and long after I'm gone, you know, and it, and that's really powerful, really powerful. With that being said, uh, we, with your later uh, years later on, uh, you wrestled with <clears throat> against Kevin Nash. You uh, took a mean, you know, power bomb from him, which ended up breaking your back. And what was kind of just the the process of, of what was going through your mind when that happened for you? Uh, you know, just, you know, taking such a move like that. And, and especially when you were kind of like at that height of where you're, you know, you're one of the main guys, you're you're in the business and, you know, this happens to you and there's potential that this could be the end of your career. Well, just on, just to say something for Kev, like Kevin laid me perfectly flat. I just hit right. wrong. And it wasn't right. that bump. It was the proverbial straw that broke the camel's back. Right. And uh, I mean, I was running so hard. Like all the shit you saw of me was in my 40s. I right. wasn't in my 30s or 20s, you right. know? And, yeah. uh, and again, but it's all about how you hold back the time. But when that happened, I literally had just signed the downsize $4.8 million contract. That was the downsize. And if I don't get back in that ring in six months, that gets cut in half. Six months, cut in half. Six months, cut in So the contract was not worth the paper it was written on unless right. I was there. Right. And I was, I mean, I got super depressed at first, like anybody would. You know, but I tell everybody, you know, like, if you look at the top players in the world, I mean, The Rock, and I'm not using him as a, a wrestler here. I am talking about the number one actor in the world. The biggest fucking star in the world is one of us. And he did a whole thing on YouTube on his shit that he did all about depression and how depressed he was, you know, like everybody gets depressed, you know, and everybody goes down. Obama goes down. Trump goes down. Tom Brady goes down. LeBron James goes down. Oprah goes down. None of those cats stay there. No matter what, they, they, they may take the hit, they may suck it up, and then boom, they're back again. You know, and that's what I try to do. Watching how other people handle that. And that's what I try to do. In this scenario, I probably was really bummed out about three days. And then Kimberly was doing yoga. And she's like, you should really try it. And I literally said, fuck 
<laughs> I don't know. Doing yoga. You know, I mean, I'm the guy you know, who wouldn't be caught dead doing yoga the first 42 years of his life. Another reason why, you know, I branded DDPY because I get it for the guys who fucking say that. But throw your ignorance away a little bit and look where the fuck I'm at, what I can do. And I'll be uh, let's just, just cold like this while we're talking. I'm going to stand on this one leg, back it up a little so you can tell my hands going to be right here. I'm going to take this foot and pull it over my head. And here's my other hand right here. So I'm not holding on to anything. At 6'4", 224 pounds, and I'll be 65 in five more weeks. So, you know, it's like, look at, Jer look at Jericho. Jericho blew his back out uh, when he was 41. I sent him the Arthur Borman video, mm -hmm. and he called me back five five day, five minutes later and said, "You tell me what to do and I'll do it." Mm -hmm. And now Chris is fifty. Now he's not wrestling twenty seven days a friggin' you know a month anymore, but he's yeah. the biggest stars in professional wrestling still. Yeah, you know, and whenever he goes out there. Fucker leaves it, leaves it all out there, and he still drinks like a demigod. I don't know how he's doing that. I know he's cut back some, but you know, my point is AJ Styles, Drew McIntyre, um, God, the list. You know, I could just list so many guys, but those are two of the biggest names in the world. They do my shit mainly because of Jericho. Well, with that, with that being said. Uh, your 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 movie relentless you know it's it's very powerful it has a very strong and, and positive message uh especially and you know like you say to not give up to you know to to believe in yourself and the stories that you provide within that what was what was the the main thing for you uh during that journey you know with you know wanting to prove that this could be something that people could do and that you know people just had to believe in it what was you know I, I saw the video you know for those who may not have seen it yet what was it just for you you know going through that time frame of just trying to prove that you know this thing can work and how i can get people to want to buy into it well i think more than anything because it healed me you know, and then it healed that disabled veteran. And that video, not P90X, not Insanity, Tybo, nobody has got that transformation. God sent me to him and him to me. I mean, that's the only way I can explain that. Resurrection of Jake the Snake. When you see the change Jake Roberts goes through, it's Definitely. unbelievable. There, there's no other program on the planet that could have done that for Jake, mainly because he was so beat up. And that's, you know, when I say DDP yoga is not yoga, it's yoga position meets rehabilitation techniques, meets old school calisthenics, push-ups, squats, crunches, done with a slow burn, meets time under tension i call it dynamic resistance the medical world would be isokinetics and uh, isometrics and isokinetics is just isometrics moving 
like engaging and flexing, like you're lifting weights, but there's no weight. So it's impossible for you to hurt yourself. You can modify it in any position. The thing that was so passionate to me, first of all, I blow my back out at 42. Three spine specialists tell me my career is over. In less than three months, I developed the embryonic stages of what today would be called DDPY. Kick-ass cardio, dramatically increase your flexibility, strengthen your core at a whole different level. You just saw me lift my foot over my head and have a conversation with you. The beauty is it, and this is why Jake could do it, and this is why Jake could do it in every beat-up athlete. Like, I have a partnership with the NFL alumni. None of those guys paid for my shit. Like, none of them. Friggin', I take care of so many people. If you guys will actually really do it, I will hook you up, and then we'll come back, you know, 60 days from now, and you tell me what happened. Because I know that this holds back the hands of time from the field to the court to the bedroom. <laughs> Again, sick gonna be 65, still a fucking animal. You know? <laughs> well, I, I, so, me, I'm only 39, so I, I'm not old yet, but I do I do feel, feel those that, that, that moment where uh, me being 15, playing basketball all day, running and jumping, you know, walking and being active and just I kind of feel it, you know, a little bit slowly creeping back up. So it, I've definitely been wanting to, you know, do something, get back into an exercise. I, like you say, I, you know, I never really looked at yoga or anything like that as being something, you know, I would think about doing it. But I cannot lie and say not just for the purpose of us talking to you, I, but I have to be honest that I I could see myself doing this as something that I, like you say, something you could do at your own pace, something that you can do, you know, that, that you don't feel, you know, is detrimental to you and it makes you feel better. Uh, so I definitely, you know, am willing to, you know, try to and get back with you in 60 days to see how it feels. I'd love to. So what, what we'll do, you guys sit Marlon up. All right. And then he'll give you, I'll give you, he will give you my number and then I'll just, you guys both come like in a group text and I'll okay. tell you what to do. I'll hook it up and then we'll hit back and, you know, uh, and you'll talk to Marlon a month out to be able to book it. So we got it locked down and they'll go, right. okay, so tell me, tell me what, you know, what you did, where do I, and I'll tell you some shit to do, you know, but I mean, I literally lay everything out. You know, it's like, I start people with 25 minute workouts. So they don't think, oh my God, it's killing me. But if you want to go right to 60 minute workouts, like I will, I, I can tell you because I've taught guys from, you know, D1 schools to professional athletes. Of the professional athletes, I can honestly tell you that I can smoke 90% of them. Huh. And I don't mean, I don't mean like, I mean fucking smoke. Now, if it's someone like Eddie George, who played friggin' for 12, 13 years in the NFL, that's one of the percentages I ain't going to smoke. 
because that cat's been doing <laughs> yoga. For, he's been doing, but he's been doing yoga for the last twenty years. Oh, so you he's know, already. They, right. they, they, so I, I got a I got a question for you. Uh, I know you talked about. Yeah, five more minutes, guys. I got five more minutes. No, appreciate uh, it. Really, no really, really, really quick. Um, I know earlier you were talking about you know believing in yourself and and stuff like that. So I want to ask you. I know you had um, an interview a while back. You talked about the direction of your character in WWE and how the Starker gimmick was pitched to you, but you really didn't believe in it. And how you know you wish maybe at some point you could have walked away, and you know Vince wouldn't have let you walk if you would have stuck to your guns. Uh, you mentioned also with DDPY and Relentless, you know the constant theme of your messages: never give up, believe in yourself, intention, retention, manifestation. With that being said, what would you tell guys that are up and coming who may be sitting in catering, guys who may be thinking of uh, becoming a wrestler or whatever the case may be? What would you tell them about the importance of protecting your character and maintaining the integrity of said character? Well, yeah, I built something that was as solid as it could be. It's one of the reasons why you guys want me on your show. You know, I built something that was believable and people got behind. And I didn't realize how much heat there was with WCW people. You know, I uh, thought, fuck, I never, you know, Vince is going to love me. You know, and they didn't, you know, they obviously did not treat that character for coming in there the way the character should have been. Right. But I could have stepped up and went, I'm not doing that. I was trying to be a team player. Um, in retrospect, I would have done things completely different. But if I have to really sit down and pick, I probably would have let everything happen the way it did because it gave me a different level of understanding about business. You have to understand, I fought for everything in WCW and I would go to the mat and it was nobody that I wouldn't get in, you know, talking right to their face about it. I'm not going to talk shit behind your back. I'm going to talk right to your face. And I fought like hell. I didn't think I had to do that there. Boy, was I wrong. Right. That's right. the same thing everywhere. It's, it doesn't make WWE bad. It's, it's just the same thing everywhere. I have been treated so good by the WWE since the, um, the Best of Nitros yeah, came yeah. out. They've treated me oh, like yeah. gold. Yeah. Like one of, one of the biggest reasons my company blew up was because of Shark Tank. Yes, Two right. weeks before, or three weeks before, they invite me to come on as one of the legends night. And Triple H says, you and Booker T, be talking, put your shit over. Throw the DVDs up there. You're going to put in the air thing. We'll have Ron Simmons come in and go, damn. You know, and, and it'll get your shit over. <laughs> and Jake, no one has seen Jake in the WWE ring and at that point I want to say it was like 16 years and it Jake didn't time. just burn yeah he didn't just burn bridges he nuked bridges and it would be preposterous for me to think when we started our journey that I could help him get in the Hall of Fame 
but it's exactly. It wasn't his goal for him. He wanted to work another rumble. I right. wanted him to get in the Hall of Fame. And that's yeah. what I manifested. And again, the WWE, like I'm thinking, of course, I'm going to induct Jake, right? Like, who else? And then I finally got the call from Mark Carano, and he goes, D, got great news. I was like, what's up, bro? He goes, we're going to let you induct Jake. And I thought, oh, my God, that's right. It's third TV. Like, it's not like just like you're going to induct them. You got to be picked by bits to induct them. <laughs> so that, that, that was on my 58th birthday. So what I learned and what I came away from, from the stalker angle, was you can't be afraid to walk away from the table. Like, you know what, Vince, this is a great idea, but not for me. But when you want to do people's champion versus people's champion, call me, bro, because I definitely want to do that. Thank you for the opportunity and walk out. Now, I didn't do that, but you don't learn that lesson unless you get, you know, feel like you get knocked on your ass. Right. When Cody Rhodes was a sophomore, he told me, he's been like, I've been mentoring him since he was 12. He told me his sophomore year, I said, when you start football practice, he goes, I'm not going to play football this year. I was like, what? You love football. He's like, no, I'm going to focus on wrestling. My, my junior year, I'm going to win the state championship. I right. said, well, I called him Young Buck back then. I didn't even call him <laughs> Cody. I always called him Young Buck. And I said, well, you know, Young Buck, what that's going to take? He's like, yes, sir. A lot of work. Bottom line is, I flew in from L.A. to watch that bitch go 48-0 and win his junior year. In his senior year, I called him after his 12th match. Cody, what's up, buddy? Now, I already know, but I'm not going to put it over. He says, I lost Dallas. I fucking lost. I said, thank God. And he went, what? Why would you say that? I said, Code, do you think you learned from winning? You don't learn shit from winning. You learn from losing, falling down, making mistakes. I'll take that back. You know, I said, would you rather have gone 44-0, met this kid who beat you, and you lost to him then? He was like, hell no. I go, exactly. I said, what'd you learn from this? And he told me. He is a smart son of a bitch, man. And he told me. And I said, well. Let me tell you something, Cody. You have the advantage here, and I'll tell you why. That kid thinks he beat you. He don't know you. I flew back again from L.A., and me and my daughter, Brittany, went to that match. When he came out, you have five family seats on the state championship. When he came out, he saw me in a stance and said, Dad, get Dallas down here. And I was one of the five people. Grandpa had to move. And uh, I sat down there and watched him. The same kid who beat him, uh, I watched him eat him alive. 
And that kid ended up 47 and one, just like Cody. But Cody walked away with his second state title. It's like, what did I learn from that? And Vince did me the greatest favor ever because my business, so many times people want to put money into it. And I had to really think that make that work for me. And then when we did Shark Tank, and I would uh, and I walked away from it. And then Shark Tank, this could be our biggest thing ever. And it was. But they wanted me to sign all rights over for 18 months of for how I promoted. Uh, this is after five interviews, demos, everything. Right. I, I said to my my business partners, I said to my business partner, Steve Yu, I was like. The bottom line is, when he goes, we have to send them paperwork. We have to tell them what we're going to do. I said, you tell them that I said, thank you for the opportunity. We love the show, but we're going to pass. And Steve was like, we've worked on this for two years. I go, bro, I let one person control my destiny one time. That will never happen again i was driving from atlanta to chattanooga when i rolled into chattanooga i get a call from steve he goes i got the producers of shark tank on the phone they want to fix this okay cool and i got everything i wanted and so that's the lesson that i came away from do i am i bummed that oh god i would have loved to work with a rock you know it would (laughs) have been magic magic i even knew i was going to show up i'm going to show up and that you know they're going to black out the friggin building and and they're going to everybody's going to be jericho but then 30 seconds goes by and jim ross goes hold on everybody we got some technical difficulty and then for the first time ever in that building in a blacked out arena you hear who's the real people's champion spotlight you're looking at them I freaking, I I told my wife, I was like, at the time, Kimberly, I was like, it's going to be amazing. I go, the rock will be injured or he'll be hurt or he'll be doing a movie or something. And, you know, uh, and he won't be able to be there. That'll start this whole, do this whole thing on gimmick, uh, uh, gimmick, uh, how do they say it? Um, Gimmick infringement. You know, I'll do that whole thing on that that he did. And, and stealing my freaking gimmick and blah, blah, blah. When I came in to meet with Vincent Shane and The Rock was filming Scorpion King. Uh, like, I okay. saw it. I didn't know that was going to be it, but I sure. saw it two years earlier. And it like, like I say, you know, it was, uh, if I did it again, I, I would do it exactly the same. Because today, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm so blessed by God. I have zero debt. I've got multiple homes, businesses. I mean, and I don't need to do, I don't need to work anymore. The company takes care of itself. I love to help people. That's what my mission is. And that's why I still do interviews like this for an hour and 40 minutes. Thank you. We appreciate you. Know what I mean? you it's yeah, why we, I do we it. appreciate you. 
And we and definitely appreciate you. Uh, I, I just got one little quick question. One of our fans wanted to know, uh, did any of the investors from Shark Tank after, you know, everything took off, did any of them reach out to want to, uh, you know, want to do business with you? No, well, yeah, yeah, for ridiculous money, about fifty percent thing, <laughs> Mr. <laughs> Wonderful. But I told him, "Oh, Mr. Wonderful." I never, I never went to that show. I uh, never went to that show to get a deal. I went there for exposure. That, yeah. that's what I went there for. And so I, I can assume in your relentless, you said you're done wrestling. It's done. You 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 wrestled your last match. Yes. In the it can can the can the one and only DDP confirm that one more time? No more wrestling. No more matches. Or do you have one more diamond cutter left left in you? I didn't say I will never hit a diamond cutter, but Cody had asked me. He was like, you know, maybe one more. And I was like, if you can figure out a way to top that, right? Like. I don't know how you top that. I mean, right. it, it was the crowd. When I went off that top rope, that, remember I showed you the picture of my boys, uh, mm -hmm. Bad Company? Right. I, I used to have a picture of Mondo Guerrero in full stride. He ran up to the top rope, and he dove on the three of us. I had no idea that was happening. And I have a look like, what the fuck? I can't find the picture, but it was priceless. And I remember the picture, and that's all I was trying to be, was trying to come as close as, as I could at going to be 64, um, emulating Mondo Guerrero. You know, that, that was, and the picture I've got, is amazing so uh <laughs> flying through the air hold on i'm gonna end on that gotta grab that picture hold on <laughs> gotta pull that i've showed you all the other pictures this is one of my favorite pictures now um so <laughs> this is three weeks before my six, 64th birthday <laughs> and that crowd they went batshit crazy. Yeah, they did. That, could, that, that and, was a huge moment. Yeah, and, and the next, because Relentless was already done. Right around that time, it was done. We were going to put it out. And we didn't get around to it because we were so busy shooting stuff for AEW and our own stuff. And I woke up that next morning and I looked at Paige and I said, I know why we haven't put out Relentless yet. She said, why? I said, last night has to be in there. And then we started working on that. And we finished it about you know, four months ago, and we put it out on Amazon Prime about two months ago. So if anybody's watching, you want to see a really amazing um, documentary, Relentless, I'd love to put a review. You can't put a review on Amazon Prime. You have to go to Amazon where you buy shit. <laughs> That's where they let you put reviews. Just right. Google DDP and Relentless, it'll come right up. And if you haven't seen Resurrection of Jake the Snake, I totally recommend that as well. Fellas, I got to go. Great talking to you. Get a hold of Marlon again. We'll get back together in 60 days, all right? Thank I appreciate you so it, much, sir. Thank you for taking the time out with us, sir. We definitely appreciate it. Mm.
All right, Later. guys. Have a good one, man. I appreciate you, sir. Thanks. Ladies and gentlemen, that will conclude our Diamond Dallas Page GDP interview. Thank you for rocking out with us. Oh, my God. You know, throw it up, throw it up. And ain't Jay-Z. That's the diamond cutter. You know. Now, with that being said, tonight we are going to continue giving more content as we're going to do our AEW and NXT review shows around maybe 6, 30, 7 o'clock. So stay tuned with that. But as always, ladies and gentlemen, thank you once again for tuning in. This is a 27-year-old piece of gold. He's too cold for everybody that show love, man. Salute. Like they Appreciate say, better it. late than never, right? And with that being said, until later on tonight, we'll see you when we see you. Too cold. Anything else left? Man, I ain't got nothing else left, man. We just talked with a Hall of Famer and just had a blast, laughed, got a little bit of knowledge, just learned stuff, and actually willing to, uh, you know, hey, I'm getting older, man. I got I to gotta get myself right, man. So I'm looking into that DDP yoga, too, and you should, too, man, if you need to. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Hey, 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 don't stop by the bakery too many times. What that be hey, said? Man, you know, hey, look, look, the man already said it himself, so it's a, it's a, it's a wrap now. It's over. It's a wrap. So, hey, yeah, hey, that hey, DDP hey, yoga, so baby. You better get your DDP and blue chew on, huh? <laughs> I don't know about the truth now. We're going to see how the yoga work out. <laughs> hey, be like the rock man. No, oh, we still good. No, no, we still good. It's, uh, no, we still good. No, no, bro. No, no. Right, we just going to learn to stretch a little bit. That's all. Well, with that being said, guys, we'll be back in about three hours or so. Follow us uh, on here, man. You know, hey, we'll see y'all when we see y'all, man. We hype. Let's go. See you. Yeah, right, man. Deuces.